refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. I'm Serge Antonin. Black and White and Thin Blue Lines is an original podcast co-created by Clark Ollers and me. Welcome to another episode of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines. My name is Clark Ollers. And I'm Serge Antonin. And we have a special guest uh, this week. And our special guest is a return guest, Mr. Osborne Robinson. Mr. Robinson is the is a former colonel on the Baltimore Police Department. He was the former police chief of York City, Pennsylvania. He has his own safety consulting firm and teaches firearms training. Mr. Robinson, uh, good evening. How would you like us to address you? You can just address me as Mo. Um, through all of those titles, everybody <laughs> still knows me as Mo. So Mo, is, Mo works well, just fine. That's very nice for you to say, and welcome and thank you. Our topic uh, this week is it, it starts with, which uh, we briefly discussed on a prior episode, the 2023 mass shooting in Baltimore that occurred in a Brooklyn neighborhood of Baltimore on July 2nd, 2023. The incident occurred in the Brooklyn Homes area, which is in South Baltimore. Two people were unfortunately killed. 28 people were injured. Since the incident, I do want to let our listeners know there have been three arrests. Two adults and one juvenile have been charged uh, so far. But what leads us to talk about the incident is the Agency After Action Report, which was compiled for Mayor Brandon Scott and issued on August 30th, 2023, and shared with the citizens of the world. It's 174 pages. You can download it. Anybody can download it on the internet. Uh, Mo Robinson was with the Baltimore Police Department, and Serge Antonin was with the Baltimore Police Department. And this Agency after action report largely involves the Baltimore Police Department. So I think we have I think I'm really low on the totem pole in terms of <laughs> in terms of whether my opinion is valid. So I guess I'll start with our guest. Okay, so when looking at the after action report, one of the main things that I wanted to take a look at was the key findings because this is an internal report. Mm -hmm. And because it's an internal report, I think that it's it's a good idea that we take a strong look at how they looked at themselves as a result of this incident actually happening. Yes. When I look at the key findings, which is broken down into several different areas, what I find in terms of the global theme is that it is a colossal failure of leadership. <laughs> yes. If you look at each of the areas, whether it's staffing, intelligence, decision-making, community engagement, somewhere along the lines, there is failure in leadership. And this isn't about the acting police commissioner, Richard Worley. This is about the responsibility of the subordinate leadership within that organization. And what's more important, the theme of it really screams that the culture of the organization is more about managing things than leading things. Yes, I agree with that. It's a good way to put it. 
Serge, why don't you uh, give us your reaction? One thing they conspicuously left out, and that particular weekend, there were police assigned to Fells Point in Canton. You know how they used to do. They mm-hmm. take detectives out, put them down there. Mm-hmm. So they clearly understand what needs to be done when there are going to be large crowds on a holiday weekend that need to be managed. Mm-hmm. But here, they didn't do that. Again, if, if we were to break down the findings and you start with the staffing, and they they talk about how each of the districts, specifically the Southern District, um, was at adequate staffing, and they add the piece about it was at adequate staff, staffing based on the numbers that they had of those who were supposed to be at work in addition to those who volunteered to work overtime. overtime. <laughs> right. They made and, and those who were forced because it was involuntary overtime included, which means somewhere in leadership, you have to account for the number of personnel who you have forced to work overtime. Mm-hmm. So th- let's see what that looks like. <laughs> Say that you only have six people that are scheduled to work and the constant requires 12. You got two that allow that volunteered to work. Now you're up to eight. That means four people can leave after working four hours of the evening shift. They're done at seven or eight. Mm-hmm. So now for the rest of that evening shift, either, either going to 11 or 12 midnight, you're undermanned. You only have eight people working. So, so here we go again. We want to create this smoke screen mm-hmm. that we had an adequate number of people of um, working. Well, you really didn't have an adequate number of people working, especially if you didn't take any account for any deployment for this event. Absolutely. Because that adequate number of people working really only speaks to the normal day. Not any special events involved. Right, not the Super normal Bowl. shift any, numbers. Not any not, festival involved. Right, yeah. not Super Bowl. Right, the right, normal right. shift numbers. It's your normal shift numbers to handle calls for service for that particular night. And one thing I found interesting in the report, I don't know if you caught this, they say that there was a patrol officer there when they were beginning to set up. And then they claim they didn't know. Look, I'm kind of the outsider here, but yeah. let me react to what both you uh, gentlemen have said so far. First, I want our listeners to know, Fells Point and Canton are what I'm going to call upscale areas in terms of crowds gathering. The bars are expensive, bars, restaurants, and so forth. And there are a lot of white people, to put mm-hmm. it bluntly, that uh, it's obviously a mixed crowd, yes. but there's a high percentage of Caucasian people in Fells Point and Canton. This is true. The, the place, the Brooklyn Homes, is almost all African-American, as I understand the demographic from reading. Yes. I'm, I'm not from there, mm-hmm. but that's my understanding. The second thing I want to say picks up on what Serge said. They saw it. Yes. So, in other words, it was, and they saw it eight and a half hours 
before the first shot was fired. And this isn't just an annual event that started last year or annual event that started the year they say before decades, or right? annual event that started five years ago. So long that the original guy has passed away, <laughs> according to the report. This yes. is an annual event that's nearly 30 years old. Absolutely. And, oh, by the way, they recognize or they may, they, they uh, identify in the report that the post that Brooklyn Homes is situated on, it is among the busiest 1% of any of all the geographies in the entire city. Be- so what's that code name for? People That's a code name for hotspot. Right. Yes. It's already a hotspot. Why did this happen? I personally believe this happened for reasons that weren't addressed in a sentence in 174 pages. We can't pretend staffing as they outlined it was the issue. Because it wasn't, even though they say the district was pro- staffed properly, there was no specific staffing for the event. Now, let's step away from that part for one second. What we would have to believe is <laughs> none of the sector supervisors on any of the shifts, none of the sector lieutenants on uh, that worked in that district, not the captain, not the major, knew Anything about an event from anywhere in the district that they work in, that's what happens sometimes when you're dealing with a culture of management versus leadership. Mm -hmm. They think it's enough for them to say, I mentioned it to the bosses, right? You wear the rank of major on your shirt and you're responsible for a precinct and that precinct essentially uh, equates to what would be your own city within the city, yeah. right? Because you have that many sure. residents you're responsible sure. for. We're talking about communities that equate to, they are essentially the police chiefs mm-hmm. of their particular communities, right? And so they're not there just to take this guided course. So when somebody sends you an email or calls you and say, hey, we got this flyer, it is your responsibility to figure out what resources do I need? Do I need to go do a um, assessment of the terrain? Do I need to talk to people down in that area to get a feel for how many people they are expecting? What type of crowd are they expecting? Do I need to talk to the officers who worked last year and find out where were some of the things that we went wrong? Do I need to decide now, two weeks, three weeks out? That I need officers to work overtime down there as opposed to the day of and I'm recruiting people just to fill cars. All of those things is that commanders and deputy commander of that precinct's Mm -hmm. responsibility. When I read the agency after action report, Mm -hmm. I may perhaps foolishly, naively believe that when I sat down, I was going to be hearing things about the problems of juvenile justice in the city the problems of unemployment, handguns. In other words, because there's, to me, four or five major problems, which mean that any group of 800 people un- unmarshaled in southern Baltimore could lead to shootings. It's kind of crazy. Well, I think I think that a part of doing a after action, especially when that after action is an internal investigation, it's not, it should not be a look at the, the things that you can't control uh-huh. that but, you can't control. But it's me, about the things that you can control 
I remember commanders in roll calls. I remember one in particular saying, we don't pay blue welfare. If you're not going to go out here and if you observe something that seems fishy, I'm being a little like, because he was a little on the wild side. If you're not going to go out here and put your hands on these people and see what's up with them, then we don't need you here. But that has changed. Which goes back to the point, and this is how I'm going to respond to that. It goes, <laughs> it goes back to the point that I was making about leadership, right? Meaning a lot of what we are seeing and the manner in which police departments move is predicated on politics and not the best practices of public safety. I don't want to give the impression that I'm giving the active police commissioner a break, nor the mayor a break, right? But what I'm talking about is daily operations that they aren't touching, Yeah, yeah, right? And they're not touching it because there is nothing about their presence that is omni. They are not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at one time. Mm -hmm. It just can't happen, which is why people are put in positions, why we have ranks, right? Exactly. And why those ranks, their responsibilities that correspond with those ranks. And what even down to the officer level, if you go to key finding eight, they acknowledge that there were only two people that manually operated those cameras mm-hmm. that were uh, in the fields of the Brooklyn Homes incident, right? That occurred at 1224 p.m. and 735 p.m. Mm-hmm. And so what they say is we could have did better with City Watch there. I say, what the heck were the police doing between those that seven hours and 11 minutes? Listen, that's two shifts. You had, we're talking about a place that is in the top 1% <laughs> of the busiest we're not talking Mayberry, right, Mo? We're, ta- we're, we're talking about a district, yeah. not just a district hotspot, yeah. a city hotspot. Do you think that the ranks have been watered down since you've been going, per se? I don't think it just happened. So when I say this didn't just happen since I left, because even we're talking about 2018, it was already beginning to happen, happen right? When... When you say it, you mean watering down of? I don't even mean a watering down. Well, it is a watering down, mm-hmm. but very specifically, this concept where folks who should be making decisions, they want to defer their decision making to their next rank up <laughs> because they don't want the responsibility that comes with the decision making. Yes. So it's one thing to wear the rank, right? It's one thing to be able to exercise the authority, right? And say the buck stops here. Go do this, right? It's another thing to make decisions on your own that you will have to live and die with. Guys, I want to challenge you both for a moment. On page three of the report, it says accountability. And you both have been talking about accountability. Mm -hmm. It says to reestablish trust with communities, agencies must accept responsibility and be held accountable for breakdowns that contributed to distrust with the community. To ensure accountability, we will implement leadership changes within the Baltimore City Police Department command staff and refer offending personnel to the Police Integrity Bureau. Let me just pause right there for a moment. What I'm getting at is the fundamentals of law enforcement, in my opinion, are missing in the city. 
So you can change leaders all day long. You can talk about accountability. You can put 40 police officers in South Baltimore for the 800-person party. But if those officers, and it talks about it in this report, if those officers are disinterested, if they aren't engaging, if they aren't doing any police work, I, I think we're just going to have to pay more and more and more taxes to have bigger and bigger and bigger police departments and have greater and greater Well, to piggyback on what you both have said, the definition has changed of what police work is. And and not only that, what I'd like to point out is a a segment of what you read. And a segment of what you read indicates they're willing to change leaders. I'm not talking about changing people. I'm talking about the culture of Mm -hmm. what leadership is versus management, which transcends the person. Right. Because there are core principles that are associated with leadership. Mm -hmm. And so the question for me is, do we send people to like the FBI National Academy (laughs) to um, Northwest uh, to the one that's down down south? I can't think of the name of the Southern Management Institute, I believe. Right. And this is for the upper command staff. Sure. Right. But even before you get there, when we first talking about first line leadership, right, even when we start talking about sergeant school, right, mm-hmm. or lieutenant school, how, how high up in the chain of command do you think you'd have to be to have affected a more positive outcome at Brooklyn Home? That's a great question. It starts at the sergeant's level. Okay. So let's <laughs> say you're a police sergeant. What do you, as a leader, exp- how do you take me, the the police officer. I have no rank, no authority above police officer, but I've been through the academy. What do you expect me to do? What are you leading me to do to prevent two murders and 28 other people shot? Well, it starts with what you do once you find out that there is an event, right? Right. And how you carry on to find out those things, right? And so- if you have this hot spot, right, one, you're going out with that officer as a sergeant, right, that is that post officer, and you're going to help him understand how you get a feel for the post. I think the bad actors largely walk uninterrupted through the city. I think that you may be on to something, <laughs> but... Where we are didn't just start happening. No, under, I, I totally and, agree. And, I, and, and, and so it's not in, in, in the same way I'm saying that. It's not that I disagree with you. It's just that I'm taking it a step further to say not only is it not happening now, it didn't just start not, not happening. happening. No, I agree with that. Let me back up just one second and talk about what I mean about bad actors. Every trigger puller that night is a bad actor, in my opinion. I think the vast majority of citizens that live in Baltimore are law, law-abiding people. Vast majority. The reason I think Baltimore is so dangerous, in my opinion, is the bad, what you're calling bad actors, what I'm calling the trigger pullers in terms of this incident, are not being confronted anywhere, anytime. That's my, my well, perception. I think, I think that a part of it goes, it still goes down to the, the culture Right. When I came on the job in 1993, right, I go through the academy, I graduate there. were It was not only the sergeant, but there were seasoned officers in the squad 
that did not accept mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Right. And mediocrity wasn't necessarily just about you having to go out and be a go-getter, right? It could be as simple as you not picking up the calls on your post. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Or backing you people hear, up. Right. You were going to hear about it from the officers before the sergeant even got to you. And they were going to make it clear, right, in a not-so-nice way <laughs> that you're going to handle your responsibility, right? So we're going back to this word of responsibility, right? And so when you start to look at, in Serge's words, of how things are watered down, mm-hmm. it didn't go from that to where we are today simply because of a change of administration. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Or changes in administration. It didn't happen because of a defund the police campaign that came about three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that, Serge? What's that? That it did not. It, 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 that the defund the police is not part of the issue, or significant part of the issue here. I know. Uh, this is what. This is before you answer. This is what I can say. When I was a sergeant. When I was promoted to sergeant, I was promoted coming out of being a detective um, and doing drug work as well as working in intel. Always busy. And I had been, I wasn't promoted to sergeant until I had almost 14 years on the job. So when I went was assigned back to patrol as a patrol sergeant, I recognized then, this is 2006, 2006. That what I had been exposed to as a rookie cop no longer existed. Mm -hmm. One, the average tenure of a patrolman went from probably somewhere eight to 12 years, right? Down to you might have three to five. And that's time on the job. That's not, that's inclusive of your academy time, not excluding your academy And then what time. you mean by that is that somewhere between three and five years, you transfer into a special unit, special people were unit. People were leaving. So what's gotcha. left in patrol right. are people who don't have a lot of experience, right? I think that's this was true other around thing the that state. I, that that the point. other thing that right. I noticed was those folks didn't get out the car. Now, I'm a sergeant, and... What I recognize is that folks aren't getting out the car, but I also know that we were in a season where people, did, kids didn't, the, the 20, 21, 22 year olds that are now your, your uh, rookie cops, they didn't go outside and play in the same way that we did. <laughs> they did, they played more video games, right? And they didn't have to sit next to the person that they were playing video games against. They could play video games against people in another state, in another part of town, in another country, right? What I also recognized from that was in talking to people who played video games that there is a lot of trash talking (laughs) that went on because I'm not sitting right next to you and I can say anything I want without a consequence because I don't have a consequence, (laughs) right? We also had more people applying for Baltimore Police Department that were not from, not only not from the city, but not from urban environments. Yes. Right? 
So now you you take that. You take a group of people who are not used to an urban environment. They're not used to playing outside and having to work through human interaction and conflict, right? They can say whatever they want to somebody without consequence, and you drop them in the middle of East or West Baltimore and you tell them to get out of their car? By themselves. It's foreign to them. One man patrol cars. One man. (laughs) By themselves. It's counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about 2006. If you never address that, what do you think is going to happen when you fast forward to 2023? You've uh, convinced me that part of my uh, evaluation is not valid because I'm imposing my upbringing into what I think the police officers ought to be doing. In other words... And you were a cop from the 70s into the 80s. Well, but also I was a free-range... Uh, they call them free-range child now. In other <laughs> words, you did not play inside. You played outside yeah, and yeah. You, you roamed and you got And you figured out conflict. Yes, with, right. Yes, yes. Right. So so yes. we're, talk, we're talking about when you, when you moved to 2000... Before 2010... Right. Right. We're talking about a generation that didn't resolve conflict and interact but, with one another in the same way generations prior did. Can I right. ask you something then to follow up on that? Sure. The bad actors also grew up differently than I did. In other words, the bad actors are typically growing up, if I believe what I read, are typically growing up in fatherless environments or dysfunctional families, going to dysfunctional schools in a city that doesn't provide middle-class incomes upon graduation from high school, even if you're the A student. In other words, you don't. There, there's really very little economic opportunity in the city. And they're learning to resolve their differences, in my opinion, through social media. In a, and with firearms. Let's suppose you're the sergeant. And you come on the shift, suddenly there's an 800-person party on your post. You, you're a leader. What do you start to do? Well, starting with the cops, the cops, especially those assigned to that sector in that post, should have been checking a hotspot and checking it frequently, right? It's no, it's no secret that that's a hotspot. It's a problem area. Just as a part of their patrols, they should have been there. And when they begin to see it was an issue, they should have conveyed that to a supervisor. Now, as a sergeant <laughs> and knowing that is my number one hotspot in my sector, once I got folks out on the street and the administrative things taken off, that's probably my first stop because I have to go inspect what I'm responsible for. And when I identify this is going on, even before, for me, it's not going to get to eight or 900 people before. Meaning, if I come out at 3.30, if we start at 3 o'clock, I'm on the street by 3.45. I'm going to my primary hotspot to see what's going on. If I see that they're gearing up for something, I'm going to tell that post officer to give me feedback. Give me a sit rep, a situational report Mm -hmm. every 30 minutes or every hour, right, about what this is looking like. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to spot check because I have to inspect what I expect. Meaning I'm not just going to tell him to do it. I'm going to show up there without telling him that I'm coming to see if he's inspecting it. I might be sitting there 
when he gets there <laughs> to inspect it one time, right? Yeah. Because you have to inspect what you expect, right? So because of that, I am going to know what's going on before it reaches 800 people. <laughs> and when I start seeing it get out of hand, if I'm if my lieutenant is there, I am going to convey the need to bring resources there. If we're able to handle that within district because we have discretionary personnel, then I'm going to recommend that. If the, the lieutenant says, no, we're going to do X, Y and Z, then I'm going to submit to the leadership of that lieutenant. But at some point, you're not going to make me believe that no sergeant, no officer, no lieutenant or acting lieutenant went down to that area. And if they didn't, shame on them. They had not been doing it for a very long time and it didn't start that day. And there was no follow up and there was no culture of inspecting what you inspect, what, what you expect. And what I'm saying to you, those are leadership competencies. And, and when you do those things, things that don't just happen, you have an opportunity to make decisions, identify problems. Implement a court of action and then execute that course of action. And I'm going to tell you this. That says it all. Inspect what you expect. In the past, the Baltimore City Police have closed the party. Yes. In they other said words, that. But, listen, I have, there was a time, and I don't think it still works this way, but at one time, the request for permits for these type of um, events was approved by the district commander. Now, I don't think it's that way now. Right. And as a district commander of the Western District, I had no problem with disapproving them. And then when it first came out, because what, what would typically happen, commanders would get it. Oh, somebody has this event. I, I can't approve it. I can't disapprove it. And they just sign off on it. And let them have it. Anything. I came, I came into the game like this. As a as nobody taught me this, you can't make me sign my name to, to anything, anything that I don't want to. You can't make me endorse something yeah. that I don't agree with. Here, here sign this like, check. Like, like, no, if I don't agree with it. Now, as someone who is my superior, you can say after I disapprove it, no, it's approved and you need to put something in place to address it. But what you can't tell me to do is to sign my name and approve it. If I disagree, no, you can't make me do that. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to acquiesce to something that I don't agree with unless I've been given an order to deal with it. And that order is lawful. You know, one thing I admire about Mo is that he has a stubbornness. Uh, that's my word. <laughs> but no, I'm being serious when I say this. I think our culture needs more of that, actually. I have strong feelings about the competencies of leadership. And I haven't been there. There are over 18,000 police departments in this country, right? I've worked in three. But I will say. <clears throat> and you have military background. Yeah. But a lot of my leadership is shaped on the structured schools of leadership that the military provided me. So when I start talking about, they have sergeant schools in the Baltimore Police Department, they have um, lieutenant schools, or they had them, I'm assuming that they still do, mm -hmm. 
It was more about these are the things that you are going to have to deal with, right? Meaning, do you know how to review a report? Let's say you were put in charge of the police department right now without a finger from City Hall, because that's important, I think. What would you do to change the standard? I can't assume that the things that contribute to problems are the same now, are the exact same now as as were when I was there. You have to really go in and do uh, an assessment and a review of what is going on now. And so if you want to say what would I do, mm-hmm. I would go in and I would take probably somewhere between 60 and 90 days. And that would be conversations with the internal stakeholders. You have to do the same thing with your external stakeholders. In addition to that, you have to look at the structure of the organization. Is the organization structured in a way that it allows you to effectively and efficiently meet the organizational goals and objectives? And now I'm trying to identify patterns, trends, and clusters of problems. (laughs) And then from there, I would develop short-term goals and long-term goals, but also identifying training. Repetition is the mother of all learning. Yes. You got to put in time, frequency, and duration. That is going to lead to the sustaining of practices and the creating of a culture. You're not trying to change conduct, right? The who you are when someone is looking at you. (laughs) You're trying to change character. The who you are when nobody's looking. Well, gentlemen, you've given some uh, great ideas to the Baltimore City police officers. Thank you, Mo. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met, obligations to truth, to justice, and to liberty. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address use common spelling and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Ollers, may be found on the website.